0: Hello and welcome to the IntraFish Podcast, where we bring you the week's most interesting and compelling seafood news. I'm Drew Cherry, editor at IntraFish, and it's been a busy week. Just today, some bombshell news. The European Union made a ruling that Norwegian salmon producers had acted in cartel-like ways to fix prices of salmon going into the block. Aquaculture health giant Benchmark announced it would seek a sale we had a couple major top executive shuffles, but today we want to talk a bit about shipping rates, particularly with the backdrop of the conflict happening in the Red Sea. Our correspondent John Evans, who covers shipping and its impact on seafood closely, is going to give us a rundown of what's happening. And then after that, we're going to be hearing from Goria Nikolic. He's an analyst with RoboBank. He's going to be giving us a forecast for the shrimp sector, but first...
1: Over to you, John. Yeah, well, rates have been rising since um, before Christmas, really. And when you look at the, the data I saw, uh, particularly today, um, they've gone higher than ever. Um, from about mid-September to mid-December, um, container shipping rates were around about $1,500, um, sometimes fluctuating a little bit below it for a 40-foot container. Um but now, um, I've seen rates in the last two or three days from Drury, the shipping analysts, pointing more towards 3,750. And um, and, and something that came into uh, view um, this morning, uh, I was looking at um, uh, freightos figures, and they were saying it's 4,700, um, uh, and that's a rise of uh, 282%. That's to uh, destinations from China, to Europe. So, um, yes, it's really looking like, um, you know, difficult times in terms of uh, costs for freight. And I suppose the question is and you're going to ask me, Drew, are we heading back to the days of $20,000 that we saw during the height of the pandemic? Well, um, at that time, there was um, a lot of shipping containers uh, stranded in China, particularly because of their zero tolerance um, policy at that time. But now we have um, shipping containers stranded in other parts of the world where they're uh, not needed or um, with, with um, you know shipping companies needing them back. So there is a... A shortfall in equipment, which is you know, also putting pressure on uh, on shipping rates. It's a it's a, it's a kind of similar problem, but slightly uh, different, if you will.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and this is uh, this is obviously bad, unwelcome news for the seafood industry. But you look back almost a year ago, or even six months ago, for that matter, uh, prior to uh, the Red Sea conflict. And things were actually looking quite good uh, for shippers, uh, or rather people that were paying to ship. But the companies themselves, the shipping companies, they were kind of bemoaning the fact that uh, they felt like refrigerated container rates were close to the bottom. Uh, they, they, uh, There was a price war happening in Asia and European trades, but... Is, is there any signs that we are going to see any kind of softening in short term?
1: Um, I don't think really until this situation with, um, you know, the Houthi rebels from Yemen is resolved one way or the other. Or the, put it this way, that the attacks um, stop one thing that is... Um, forcing up uh, uh, refrigerated container prices or which has the potential to force up uh, refrigerated container prices is that um, shipping lines tend to uh, switch more towards um, dry goods, dry cargo, which could be electronics, it could be grain, that kind of thing. Um, They, you know, they're they're less interested in the hassle of uh, a claim an insurance claim against Uh, a refrigerated container um so yeah uh with uh you know containers stranded in the wrong part of the world as i mentioned earlier um i don't see that happening in the very short term
0: well thanks john we'll look for more of your coverage on interfish.com as you keep us posted on events now joining us on the podcast today is Gorian nikolik he's a senior global specialist seafood at Robobank Gorian just released a new report with his team on the outlook for aquaculture uh, in the coming year. We wanted to focus today on shrimp. Shrimp had a miserable year uh, in 2023, and that's um, been quite some time that it's struggled. Uh, Just as a look at that, U.S. shrimp imports fell 9% by volume through October last year and 20% by value. Europe had the same struggles. Uh, and while China saw large imports, according to uh, Rabobank's outlook, it may not see the same type of activity in 2024. So, Gorian, welcome. Uh, why don't we just start with with a broad question: How did we get here with shrimp? How do we get to this
2: miserable place? Thank you, Drew, and uh, nice to be here. Uh, let's start with that first. So a little bit of history. Well, as you know, the shrimp shrimp industry in some similar fashion to salmon were beneficiaries of the demand growth that occurred during COVID. Uh, As you know, people couldn't go to food service, they migrated to retail, but at retail, you don't have the breadth of products and species that you have at uh, food service. So only a few species benefited and shrimp especially. So we had this Great demand expansion, prices were lifted, and the industry responded. So, we had a really good growth and good prices for a while. It was a, a golden, maybe one and a half years for the sector. But then, as we know, we started to, let's say, we had to have some monetary, uh, well, we got inflation, first of all, due to the um, Actions by the government that were taken to stimulate the economy during COVID. And after the inflation, opposite actions needed to be taken, which in combination with high energy costs really impacted disposable income across the West. once uh, disposable income went down and at the same time, also food service was open, uh, that demand for shrimp started to decline. Uh, so that was the beginning of the difficult period. Uh, we first noted noticed uh, piles up, piling up inventories in United States and in Europe, uh, and weakening demand, and prices started to slide further down. Uh, what kept the market, let's say, from an even further slide through, throughout, say, the second half especially of 2023? was China opening up. China itself was then coming to the end of its COVID lockdowns. And um, many companies, many importers were excited that uh, the Chinese economy would finally open up and people would be able to consume uh, shrimp in a much bigger way. In China shrimp has a large food service component. So they went out and bought Shrimp in large amounts, and that that was for some time an important driver, particularly for Ecuador. But actually, as the economy opened up, while demand increased, uh, it may it, it did not quite increase as as expected, or due to their own macroeconomic uh, issues that they had in China. So similar to U.S. and Europe but then in 2023 end of 2023 we had a pile up of um, inventory in China which also cooled the dem- demand and we had a further sliding down of the shrimp price so by the end of 23 and even early 24 which is now we're seeing global shrimp prices probably at a at least a decade maybe even two decade low so it's a uh, It's a tough start of the year, I could say. What do we
0: know about inventories in the United States? What do we know about how demand is shifting going into 2024? Are there
2: signs that things are going to be picking up a bit more? Oh, definitely. Definitely. So I think certainly for the U.S., the signs are most clear that we reached uh, some kind of a bottom. Uh, We are looking at the the delta of the value and volume of imports. And probably the bottom was, let's say, the the worst point of import demand was reached around June, July. And after that, we've seen incrementally improving numbers. Um, And that coincides also with improvements uh, in the economy. Inflation is becoming a bit more under control. Disposable income is improving due to lower uh, energy costs. And at the same time, actually, we did not see any increase in uh, unemployment. Employment has stayed high, wages have come up. So all of these are good signs that that the US is is beyond the low point and growing, not at a fast pace and not yet fully recovered to the high point it was perhaps in 2022. But definitely growing again, so so we should see slight positive demand in the U.S. market throughout 2024.
0: You know that slide in prices from uh, well, it's been sliding for quite some time. We hit a, a massive high in 2021, right in November. Yeah. So yeah. talk us through talk us through that when we when we hit this um, well, it, it wouldn't have been a record high, but it would have been a high that would stretch back for a long ways. So what happened in, in 2021 that led to that spike? And um, is there ever uh, a chance that we'll see things moving back up to those types of levels?
2: Um, it's unlikely. It's unlikely. I think that was really the, the combination of, of factors back then. as the You still had government uh, support of the economy people still uh, were not traveling uh, and using the money, the disposable income for those things. But at the same time, they had high high consumption of shrimp at retail, but also food service was opening. So a lot of things coincided and really increased that demand function. And also as elastic as as shrimp supplies, it it wasn't possible to respond to such an increase in, in, in demand so shortly. So prices went up to, like you mentioned, almost unseen level. Perhaps we need to go back to the EMS crisis until we see something like that. But uh, as it is now, uh, it is really unlikely to see this again anytime soon. Um, This sector is known for supply elasticity, which means even uh, uh, a small increase in price does create a response on the supply side and it remains a structurally buyers market due to this supply elasticity so i don't think we're going to come back to that price point anytime soon and, and that's and that's i think why we called it in our note that this might be the new normal we now see in economics terms you basically see a structural shift of the supply curve and that shift uh, has now occurred, and uh, it's unlikely that it's going to change dramatically. We we need a, a big jump in demand for that to happen, and, and we know that's not going to happen soon.
3: Gorian, you know, you mentioned you mentioned demand, and there's, you know, a, a fledgling global effort to create um, a marketing a generic shrimp marketing effort to. Uh, boost demand, uh, particularly in the US to start. Um, is there, are, are there, do you have any thoughts on whether that strategy will make a difference in the long run? Or as so much of the information shows, shrimp, um, shrimp demand seems to be tied a lot of times to how well the economy is doing and things of that nature.
2: Yeah, I think this is exactly the right thing that the industry needs to do. Uh, this 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 shrimp is an excellent product. It's so convenient. It's it's good for every culture. It it is, uh, you know, there's no muss peeled. There are no bones. It's bite size. You can do so many things with it. It's healthy. It's lean. Uh, and And yet you see other sectors do so well with 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 marketing their product and you really need to think about that at any one time there is negative information in the market people talking you know people sometimes associate wrongly uh shrimp farming but they don't know it's farmed and they think it's it's wild caught by trawlers uh plundering the sea this kind of associations or, or they believe that there is uh, all kinds of unhealthy substances in shrimp many times these associations are incorrect so on in on one side we need to combat these with good information. And the second, we the sector needs to provide the consumer ideas and of how to cook it, how to consume it, and, and just the ideas for, for recipes. So this, this, I think, is a really important point, and it's something that should have been done long ago. And we certainly have seen that, you know, think about the Norwegian Marketing uh, Board for salmon and all the positive feelings people often get about consuming salmon. There is no such thing in, in, in shrimp. And and this is the other, let's say, big farm species. So we definitely need something like this. I'm positive about it. Uh question is whether it will be executed in a good way. I, I still don't don't know. But let's see how it goes, right? Let's talk about the, the Chinese market,
0: because that is one that's so opaque and so difficult to, to understand. Um, the shrimp market in China, we saw a huge boom as the as the country opened up in imports. But your projections are showing that maybe uh, maybe that won't be the case. Walk us through the 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 outlook
2: for for China. Well, to start with, we see China as like a mystery and an enigma wrapped in lack of data. So it's it's a it's a very very difficult market to understand, right? And there. I'll tell you what we think is going on, but then I'll tell you also what we don't know. So our feeling is that the Chinese economy is actually growing now. It's coming out of of COVID and there is growth and consumption is improving, although perhaps slower than we saw in Europe and North America, but the growth is there. There is this, uh, but then the question is what about import demand right so so we can we can we can make an assumption certainly on on, on long-term trends and knowing income elasticity of demand in china for shrimp Uh, we can with some certainty say that perhaps demand growth for shrimp in china could be somewhere between six and nine percent per year which is great but but then comes the issue of import demand because that's the one that really drives. Uh, uh, Ecuador and it drives other countries to less extent in in India, and we need to, uh, and if it's not there, we would have uh, price erosion. So the import demand is then determined by well, at least the inventories that we've seen now, that's the short term dynamic. And perhaps it's 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 difficult to understand the 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 inventories since there's no data about that but at the end the short-term dynamic is not very relevant but at some point those inventories will be consumed and we should return to our long-term demand function which is excellent but the really difficult point to understand china is the domestic production data on domestic production in the public domain is usually wrong. It's too high, from what uh, FAR are saying or other uh, Chinese-related sources. Um, all the other, uh, let's say, sources of data, such as broodstock and feed, are also often incomplete. Uh, but we do know that there has been significant growth, especially in the last two years. We hear about construction of various. Um, of various uh, types of new types of uh, uh, shrimp farms across China. Um, how will these develop? It's honestly, I don't have the answer for it. I, I think that they, 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 it, in historically, they struggled for a long time. They struggled to 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 uh, to supply the growing demand in China, and that's what allowed Ecuador to grow so strongly. Ecuador today sells 70-plus percent of their product to China. But it seems that some business models are working, particularly in the fresh segment. Um, And these technologies now maybe are, are less susceptible to the complications that they have there biologically and actually the less than ideal weather. Because, of course, it's too cold in winter in China to farm shrimp. Um, so that that one is is I don't really have an answer. I, I think that it's we're not going to see the growth of those producers uh, like we did in 2022 and 23, but it re- remains to be seen. Um, it's a, it's a big question mark.
3: You know, you mentioned you mentioned about China's. Uh... Economy when it came out of COVID and how things improved. Do you have any sense of where the country's economy is headed in 2024 and how that may influence uh, shrimp consumption?
2: Yeah. Uh, so, so Chinese the Chinese economy as it as it exiting uh, COVID is in a completely different place than where U.S. and Europe were. When we were exiting Covid, we were facing inflation because we had overstimulated the economy with with um, uh, with government uh, intervention. In China, they're facing deflation. They're facing that many consumers have realized that perhaps they need to save more, and it's already a country which saves a lot. Uh, a lot of the savings that people have are actually in real estate. Their pension fund is, in fact, real estate. That has collapsed. Uh, they're, they're, they're worried about the, the, the entire, let's say, healthy, healthiness of the real estate market. And that creates a negative consumer sentiment and higher degree of, of saving. Now, when people save more, they typically spend less. So that, that puts a, a, a break... On consumption, and now we're seeing that the Chinese government probably come out with stimulus. And it's interesting if they actually come up with a new type of stimulus, because until now they've usually wanted to stimulate to 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 uh, improve production. They usually focused on exporting uh, or productive assets. What is needed now is to stimulate consumption. Uh, so we do expect uh, perhaps lower interest rates in China and other types of uh, uh, t- t- government intervention, but it's kind of unknown territory. We, we haven't really been here before uh, with China. China always had strong growth in consumption and now this is one of the first Moments where we're really seeing this kind of downtrend and I think part of the downtrend is long term because we also are, are seeing uh, the population the first time a negative population right so now we had 9 million babies born in 2023 which is lower than the previous year. There are a number of things that will be permanent and a few others that uh, that perhaps are temporary when it comes to Chinese consumption. So
0: the the decline uh, in in population and this potential flattening off of the power of the Chinese consumer to purchase shrimp, that's going to have an impact on the production, not just in China, but you mentioned Ecuador. And Ecuador has really hitched its wagon to China uh, and has seen massive growth because of that. So tell us a little bit about how concerned you are about Ecuador with this softening in China.
2: No, no, that's absolutely right. I I, I think China, Ecuador has been by far the most important beneficiary of uh, Chinese growth. And if China, now China is going to slow down definitely compared to 2023, more the long term question is, will there be again, demand growth, and like we said before, we cannot really judge it, given that there is also domestic production. Uh, But the current assumption, current scenario is of a lower rate of growth of Chinese import demand. And that means that Ecuador If Ecuador grows considerably more than that, let's just make some assumption figures. Let's say Chinese import demand for shrimp falls from 9% to perhaps 4 or 5%. Still very, very, very good for Western standards, but uh, it is far less than what Ecuadorian historical growth rate has been. So that means if Ecuador does not follow this growth pattern also, that Ecuadorian supply will then spill over into the European uh, and also US and maybe even Japanese and Korean markets. And we saw that happening back in 2020, when you remember when the Chinese found some COVID on a package of Ecuadorian frozen shrimp, and then they blocked the sales for a while. And you saw that spillover happen pretty quickly. Uh, But that does mean that the the industry the Ecuadorian industry will, will grow slower or face lower prices but then everyone will have lower prices including europe including the uh, uh, and thus including india and uh, and vietnam and indonesia so the the true competition between these producers will really uh, begin once we have that type of uh, slowdown in China. At the moment, I still think that the competition between these is only in some markets. A little mostly in Europe and a little bit in in the US. What would be the
3: impact on Ecuador's producers if that scenario unfolds? Are they are they in a tough spot right now and, and could get worse?
2: I think they are in a tough spot already now. The the their prices are actually now lower than the prices that are, being, that are faced by the ideas and the Vietnamese uh, uh, and the Indonesians. And uh, so it's already starting, the scenario is already there for Ecuador to start pulling volume out of China and bring it into the other markets. But then they need to invest in uh, processing capacity. And more be or go head to head to some of these other producers now I do think that they are very efficient and they will probably carve out a strong uh, position in in the west and in let's say other markets uh, but it does mean that we are we're going to face uh, let's say a long long period of, uh, of, low supo- of low low prices, and unless there is a slowdown in the supply group. Right? So let's talk about the other key producers,
0: Guri, and then uh, outside of Ecuador. Um, give us your, your view on India. Uh, shrimp export volumes were up year to date um, last year. There's some, some things on the horizon, though, for India that also are maybe a little concerning about their uh, uh, their production.
2: Yeah, so India has been very interesting in 2023. So initially we we heard everybody in India talking about really high costs and and the prices are coming down and uh, particularly as they're exposed to the US and and the, the peak of the difficulty was, let's say, in the first half of 2023. And by then everyone that I spoke to was, describing that 2023 will be a year when India corrects quite sharply to balance the market. That some people said 15%, some people said 20. I even heard someone said 25% decline in India. And then I looked at some of the numbers such as the imports of broodstock. And as we know, India is is really import dependent on broodstock. And the broodstock numbers with a lag of maybe six months or more, they can be an indicator of what Indian production should be like. So at at one point during 2023, broodstock imports were down 48%. So you can imagine that kind of supported those views that India's supply should come down. But to the surprise of pretty much everyone that I know, Q3 was very strong actually, almost one of the strongest quarters of exports India's ever had. And actually, q1 was strong, too, because allegedly, they had inventory from the previous year. So overall, it looks like that despite the slide in prices, India did not decline in production in 2023. And if it did, maybe it's only one or 2%. And certainly, uh, you see them getting market share back in the United States in the last few months so what has really happened here uh, the 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 guesses are that well some of this volume may have been indeed inventory so okay maybe the production growth was a little bit more negative maybe three or four percent but another theory uh, is that density has come down in response to the lower prices But with the decline in density, the problems that they had before, such as uh, mortality and low growth, there was less stress in the farm with less shrimp. Much more of them survived and grew to better size. And in the end, productivity had improved. That in combination with more monodone production and even some domestic broodstock production might, might explain this deviation from previous factors. But it could mean that actually India is more efficient than we thought. Uh, And then quite a few people now are saying, yeah, with America coming back to growth, maybe Europe, you know, we shouldn't be too negative about India in 2024. Maybe there will be small growth, despite everything. So in a scenario like this, when you have so many
0: producers, Gorian, and, and all around the world, and you have softening demand, lower prices, um, how then, with such an elastic product, how then will the industry ever begin to uh, to get more value for their product given that any rise in demand seems to prompt even more production? And, and is that cycle ever going to break, and is there a way to break that cycle?
2: Uh, excellent question. I think shrimp really is the, the, the poultry, uh, kind of the poultry model. And poultry has never gone up in uh, in price. Uh, basically, uh, it's going to be the uh, an evolution of an industry where by the lowest cost producer wins. And I mean, think about it, it's a, it's a globally traded frozen product uh, with an elastic supply curve so the 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 it's you it can almost guarantee that this industry long term will face declining prices uh of course if if we were a a mature sector and let's say we are having increasing feed costs of feed and then cost is going up then you can maybe assume prices will sort of follow the cost of production but but in here, we're also an immature sector. There's so much more technology to go into this industry. We we look at a, a variable called technology penetration. And and you notice that it's so limited in shrimp. The delta of productivity between the best performers and the lowest performers is, is enormous. Uh, we heard that in, in Ecuador, when a, a large producer that has fully technified, as they call it, a technified farm, when they buy land from the least productive part of the country, which they kind of do, and the prices are very low, the increase in productivity could be between six to 10 times per hectare. So we still have a long, long way to go in this industry to improve productivity. It, It is one of the species that has the highest mortality Actually, I'm pretty sure it is the species, of any, let's say, animal farm species, it has the highest mortality of any cycle, even if you measure it on a per week basis. So not the full cycle, but a per week basis. It has the highest mortality. So there are so many things that the sector still can improve that, yeah, we're going to see long term low prices, even maybe further declining prices. But at the end, the industry will flourish because... There is just still so much uh, more to do on the efficiency side.
0: Gorian, give us a best-case scenario for 2024 and a worst-case scenario for 2024.
2: Yeah, well, what we're hoping for, what we're hoping for, is that suddenly China will surprise us. And I mean, we we already have a good feeling that Europe and US will come up in demand gradually. And I'd, I'm not hoping for a big jump there, but a really good surprise in China. That 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 suddenly cons- consumer sentiment is not that bad, and uh, and that people really love uh, uh, to to buy product from Ecuador, and that domestic production has maybe slowed down or flat, and suddenly we have this great growth of eight nine percent in China. That would be a boost on its own, and if the industry. You know, they don't have to have negative production. I don't think any of the producers need to con- contract anymore in 2024. But if they keep it flat and maybe even single digit production, that would then balance the market to a point where inventories would be consumed globally. And we would have an uptick in the price and, and, and a recovery in profitability. That that would be our, our you know, what we hope for. Now, the bad case scenario is that suddenly Ecuador does another double-digit production, followed by India that also produced more, because somehow they found more efficiency. Uh, and then China doesn't recover. And even worse, maybe Europe actually hasn't reached the bottom yet. So those, that, in that scenario, we, we, we still go further down, and we make more losses for the farmers uh, of the of species.
0: Well, we will see how the year pans out, and we'll definitely talk to you again, Gorian, and and get your views. Thanks so much for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, that's it for this week's podcast. Thank you again, Gorian Nikolic, for joining us. We will be back next week with more news and views on the seafood industry. Remember, you can go to IntraFish.com and find all our news around the clock. And don't forget, we will be hosting an event in Boston coming up on March 11th. We've got a fantastic lineup of speakers. We'll have discussions and debates. Go to IntraFish.com or IntraFishEvents.com to get your ticket. Bye for now.